Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Zebraff on The Definitive Rap. And welcome to the Definitive Rap. I am Bela Sebrow. Thank you to Vin News for hosting our show. With social media opening the eyes to the world about issues that were previously unknown to others in the past, it has also normalized those who used to suffer silently many years ago. One of those issues is abuse. That word now is not just an, inter- uh, an issue of human interest, but it has also become publicized as well. Abuse of all types has evolved into socio-political attitudes. Let me make something very clear. Regardless of what anyone says, and regardless of who the victim is, abuse has a powerful effect on the victim, not just while the abuse is going on, but even after the perpetrator is no longer in the victim's life. When an individual is abused, Life does not go back to normal for the victim. Every aspect of of what the victim will be doing or choosing to do after the abuse is over will be influenced by what she or he has endured. With us today is Esther Goldstein, a licensed clinical trauma specialist who holds a passion for helping others find and achieve true healing. Esther runs a group called Uh, It's a group practice called Integrative Psychotherapy, where she and her team of skillful therapists offer heart-centered, cutting-edge treatment to those seeking relief from anxiety, depression, and trauma symptoms. Esther has also created training courses for therapists and educators committed to deepening their knowledge, skill, and confidence in better supporting those on their healing journey. She is fiercely committed to raising awareness about health and collaborating with leaders in supporting our communities to keep thriving emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically healthy people. Esther, welcome to the Definitive Rap. Oh my goodness. I'm like listening to you and I'm inspired. I'm like, Bela, I could listen to you all day long. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, My first question is, we know that there are all types of abusive abusive situations, uh, domestic abuse, child abuse, abuse of power in various situations, assault, etc. What type of abuse would you say is most prevalent in society today? Or what is it that you're seeing most of in your practice? Mm. Okay, I'm going to answer your question. I want to just say one thing first. Bela, just as someone in the community, I'm hearing you talk about um, the positive aspects of social media, the positive aspects of conversation. I just have to say, as a fellow human being, it's just so refreshing to hear you. I know you're speaking on this platform. I was just telling you before, reading some of your articles where you name the implicit, you name the, the pieces at play, the emotional pieces, the spiritual pieces, the social pieces, right? There's this we're all social beings, right? There's these social dynamics and social class and, you know, all these impacts. And I just have to say, like, it's so soothing for me. It's refreshing to hear voices of of honesty and of truth. And like I said, like you speak a lot about 
relationships and issues in the community. And I just want to thank you for being a voice of, of strength and wellness. So I'm just, I want to thank you for that. Thank you so um, much. You never know how like a conversation or a sentence could land on someone and really be like a, a healing bomb or something that's empowering for them to set a boundary or to think differently about a communal issue or an emotional issue or relational issue. So I just, I want to thank you um, for being thank that. Thank you for your kind words. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, so in terms of abuse, you know, the, the interesting thing is that abuse usually like, like one kind of abuse is, is usually cousins with another kind of abuse, right? So what that means is if we want to look at this piece of like emotional abuse, right? Someone could be very demeaning or someone could be very dismissive or someone could give their partner um, the, you know, um, they could be gaslighting or giving them the silent treatment. Often you'll find other aspects at play, right? There's other components at play where they're harming somebody else. Now, it's very different diagnostically if somebody is, you know, connected to like domestic violence, if they're being very physically abusive, right? Um, to if somebody's being sexually abusive or if somebody's being emotionally abusive. Yes. Um, what I would say is the most prevalent, but this is not backed by research. And a lot of it has to do with people's comfort and being able to share openly um, is emotional abuse. And I think that the piece of emotional abuse, it, it's so tricky because emotional abuse, you can't see anything. You know how many times I've sat right. with clients with people? Like you probably no visible scars. They're like I, like, I just wish that my partner would hit me. I just wish that like, because it's the, it's like the mind, it's like the mind game of like, are you really bad? Cause then you're so loving and you're so kind, but then you are pulling me apart like string cheese. And I feel like a worm on the floor. Wow. So the emotional abuse is essentially when somebody engages in like manipulative or demeaning or passive or passive aggressive kind of behaviors. Um, and so many times, sometimes it's verbal. A lot of times it's this nonverbal feeling that you feel when you're around someone right. where there's a lack of safety. You feel like the rug beneath you is about to fall. There is this shaming. There's these making these comments about yes. you. Um, and people come in and they say, it's so interesting because clients say like, I don't have trauma. I don't know why someone recommended me to go to you because I'm known as the trauma therapist. And I'm like, don't ignore the word trauma. Like imagine you go to someone who's like specializes in the area. Hopefully they're good at treating all the other kinds of issues like anxiety or relationship stuff. Um, but the what I see is like a feeling of confusion in these people. And the confusion is what makes them scared because they're like, I don't know why my life is good, but I feel so confused. Wow. And over time we start peeling away the layers of what's this confusion really all about. Something's not feeling right. Oh my goodness. And, and this could happen while uh, the victim is undergoing abuse as well as once the abuse is no longer taking place in their lives. So I love what you say. I just want to talk about this. One of the things that I find really powerful, what you just said in the intro is appreciating abuse or appreciating, um, well, there's a spectrum, right? And you're talking about the word victim and perpetrator or, so a lot of times people say, I'm not a victim or was I a perpetrator? And often I'll say like, Can we like, let's notice that those um, terms or those titles or those roles exist. Let's pause it for a moment. Somebody might be on the spectrum of being in a relationship that had abusive components and very loving components, which by the way, yes. usually where the confusion yes. leads start. Absolutely. Usually Absolutely. where the right long-term effects of someone who let's say was in a bad relationship or you know was in a relationship that now they're starting to do healing work if the person who hurt them has the capacity to, or if there's a toxic dynamic. Um, but I do have to say first to the piece that you said earlier, many times 
when somebody has gone through either childhood trauma, sexual abuse, um, neglect, you talk about abuse of power, right, in community infrastructures or in um, certain organizations or in social components, what you'll see is a lot of times there's an explicit, like that you can see it and feel it, or an implicit where some people are ignored and shunned in silence and other people's voices yes. are heard and honored. So what we'll see later on is that those people who are impacted um, will literally operate in the world. That's really what happens. It leaves a dent. It's like it's like a child is developing or even in a teenager or an adult is developing. And it's almost like the soft cement. And so there's like an imprint. So you'll see someone like what you just said, like someone could be in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And you're like, why are you walking around fearful of the rabbi? Or why are you feeling so insecure when you go to shul? Or why are you so nervous to talk to your husband about something or to set a boundary? And like you just said, because the imprint is there. And then being, you know, like good healing, it takes a lot of work. But I love how you said, like, it's not just like, like the, the cement hardened now. Somebody can't just say, oh, well, the person's not pushing their hand in the cement anymore and doing harm. It's like, well, my, the neurons in my brain and my nervous system and the way that I had to learn, whoever was impacted, was impacted. And now they have to do a lot of work to undo the harm. And it takes a lifelong, lifetime of work. And that's why I love how you're naming that because people say, oh, it's not such a big deal. Or, you know, he said that he didn't mean it. And it's like, we do want to be mindful of how we interact with people when they either are in an ongoing abusive situation or in a harmful situation. Right. If the word abusive feels like upsetting to some people. Right. Um, and even for our children, when things happen, just naming like that was really hard. Right. Or that I don't know if that was so healthy. So I just want to say like, yes. Um, and in terms of abuse, in terms of the spectrum, I do have to say like there's a spectrum of health and unhealth. So I, so when Bela, when you're saying abusive, like sometimes I'll listen to someone and I'm always listening to discern. Like I won't tell them, wow, you're in an abusive marriage or wow, you're in a toxic work environment or your family's completely dysfunctional. What I get curious about with them, especially because we have defenses, right? If I'm married to someone who's very abusive or if someone's in a relationship with someone who is a little coercive sexually, right? Or if somebody's part of a community where there's like secrecy and this lack of help, right? And there's this dynamics that are going on. Um, I want to be mindful of like they are living in this environment or in this relationship. So how do I help them slowly become aware of what's going on so they don't feel as crazy and it could start helping them feel healthy without yanking off, you know, like whatever's covering them or denial or coping mechanisms that they have. So it's like that fine line that we sometimes um, walk and you're talking about like abuse. So I guess what I think about is when somebody either was in an abusive relationship or is in one or has even friendships or is dating or is married or has relationships that are unhealthy, we want to slowly help them raise awareness to what's going on. And we want to do it slowly because it could be very triggering or overwhelming for someone to become aware of like, you're in a marriage where, you know, you're being forced to do things or you're dating someone and you have a great relationship with this guy, but your father is trying to control the situation right? Or you have trauma symptoms of being abused when you were younger and you're really not able to, even in your marriage or in your dating, you're not really dating. You're actually bringing your little traumatized child self to the relationship. So just let's notice that. So we have to do that very slowly, like even just using the, the words abuse, mm. um, because people get very frightened, like they're here, jumps up when we say the word abuse, when really, if we can help people realize like, look, there's just these things that many people go through. You're not crazy. You're not unhelpable. 
but let's begin talking about the things that are actually impacting your life. Mm. So, it's anyway, interesting. Yeah. It's yeah. A, so it's interesting that people who are being abused don't want to use the word and say I'm being abused because it makes them feel helpless. Would you say that that's why they don't want to? Yeah. I mean, I would think that a person who's in, and I guess it depends on the person, but to me, it feels like someone who's being abused can say, Hey, I'm being abused over here. I may not know how to deal with it. I may not know how to get out of this abusive situation, but I'm being abused. I guess not everyone can do that. Correct. I think it takes an incredible level for someone to say I'm being abused. There are some people who do. There are some people who say, I know I'm in an abusive relationship and the ability to the ability to say I'm in an abusive relationship means there's a level of health and there's a level of empowerment. Because if you mentally, if you have the capacity talking about emotional or mental abuse, if you have the capacity to start becoming aware, like this person's abusive to me or unhealthy, then you have a healthy part of you that says something's not right. And to do that, you need to be okay with like owning that and saying that. And that means that you have a level of health. It's not terrifying for you that you're in an abusive situation and you might have a level of individuation and separation from this abusive dynamic so people who can say that if somebody's saying i'm in an abusive situation or relationship they're already on the right track because they're individuated and they're healthy enough to say i'm in something that's unhealthy wow some people it's too terrifying for them because either they're not healthy enough or they're terrified if i'm in an abusive situation they might be terrified like they feel they're filled with shame what's wrong with me that i landed up in this relationship Um, I can't believe I'm here. Am I ever going to get out? Um, If people find out, what are they going to do? Right. So if people have enough help and support with, with people who have their back and they realize, no, darling, there is nothing wrong with you. You're in an unhealthy situation. That doesn't mean the world's coming to an end. And not every abusive situation is dealt with in the same way. Some people could navigate, people set boundaries when it comes to domestic violence or physical or sexual abuse, we work specifically in a way that, like with DV, right, when there's physical abuse, you don't um, directly confront the abuser in the same kind of way, because it could be threatening to the person, they could endure more harm. So mm-hmm. there's also nuance and when there is abuse, how do you confront it? Or how do you kind of um, navigate situations skillfully? So the person who's being hurt, doesn't, you know, a friend could say very like innocently, like, just tell your husband, stop being abusive. And in some situations, mm-hmm. the abuser becomes more powerful. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And we need a safety. Being route accused that the last thing they want to be yeah. told is, hey, you're abusing me. Oh, really? You think I'm abusing you? I'll show you abuse, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But, so what type of abuse are you seeing most in your practice? So it's very interesting. So there's two different pieces. I think the most, the, the abuse of adults that I'll say um, people will say like, I'm in a relationship with someone who is gaslighting me. So it's more of emotional or mental abuse, um, where there's an aspect of manipulation or a lack of respect. Um, and where people come in and they feel like they're being doubted or made to feel like they're crazy. And yeah, and there's like an abuse of power. And a lot of that is also like societal where it's like, um, When people start noticing, let's say early on in a relationship where somebody says, like somebody will say it's my way or the highway, right? In their behavior. Right. And either the man or the woman speaks up in that, in that if they get support from people around them, either they won't engage in that relationship anymore, or the person could be challenged to, to change and realize like, wow, I really shouldn't be engaging in this behavior. The person who's let's say less healthy. 
Now, a lot of it has to do with the right supports that the people do or don't have. So when it comes to abusive relationships, I think the piece that I think about, Bela, is the what I could tell you about is the, the issues that I'll see people struggling with right now. Um, a lot of those issues have roots in who they are as people and what their identity has been up until the point of getting into the relationship and then who they are in, in this relationship mm. and what they believe is possible beyond this relationship. Mm. Does that make sense? Like we're looking- it, it does. Yeah. It does. So is there a, a personality type that um, tends to get into abusive situations? Cause we see in society, yeah. someone could be uh, uh, married to an abusive person and then they're dating somebody who's abusive or they marry someone who's abusive and they're always in abusive situations. They are always the victim or not even a marriage. It could be people who have never been married and they yeah. seem to be getting into abusive types of situations and to society, to others also. Yeah, right. This, this one, he or she is always having a problem with people. So therefore that means that that person is the problem, but we know that that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily true that there are people who become victim, a victim time and time again. So, what is the personality type of such a person and what could they do about it if they do possess those um, qualities? I love that you're asking this, Bela. I love that you're asking this because what I'm hearing you say, what you're basically saying is, and I'm going to answer the question is like, could we be compassionate instead of judgmental to the person who maybe is always calling us crying or always seems to be getting into the same pattern? The same dynamic, right? I always say like when people jump from one relationship to another, either in friendship or they're in a marriage or they're in a relationship or they're dating. And sometimes it's like, wait, same, per- it's different person, same stuff. Like right, I right. Never- same plot, different, different characters. Right, exactly. And the theme is, and like the theme is either, you know, they don't listen to me. I don't have a voice or I'm like the nice person or I'm being ignored. So I love, I love, I just have to say for a moment, anyone listening to this, who feels like in some situation of your life in dating in a relationship or even something else entirely, you have a certain role. I just want you to know that you probably unconsciously have taken on a role because it made sense to you at some point in time. And this doesn't need to be your story forever, but it's your story because your brain and your mind and your body and your behavior, it's called procedural learning. We learn how to behave. We literally have these automatic impulses and responses that we um, engage in to help us survive throughout life. And I'm not just talking about trauma. And sometimes later on in life, we look at like, wow, I'm doing the same thing. Am I, is there anything I can do to make a change or is this just my destiny? And so I love Bela how you're saying this instead of us looking at like, oh, here he goes again or here she goes again. You're basically saying, something must be up with this person. And can we just look at that for a moment? So I want to thank you for the compassionate approach, because that's essentially what helps people shift um, their narrative or their rhythm, right? If somebody has a certain, like sometimes I say, like, you're doing the same dance. Can I challenge you to learn a different dance? It's going to be very uncomfortable. But I know what the dance, like in therapy, a client, let's say, who's constantly being like the nice person. So usually the client is usually being the nice person will often engage in people pleasing with me. And I might say something like, is it all right if I you know, ask the request? And they say, sure. And I'm like, no, no, no. Hold on one second. I want you to check inside for a moment. I'm okay if this doesn't work. Or I want you to really check inside when I ask a question. 
you know, like if this feels right or if maybe it doesn't feel right for you and it, it's an inconvenience to change the appointment, right. you know, and then over time we might do like some exposure work on being able to say no, tolerate the other person's disappointment because there's a dance happening. And I want to teach them the dance of saying, no, Esther, actually it doesn't work. And I'm like, that's totally fine. I still care for you and I'm still here. And if anything, I want to applaud you for saying no. So I would say the people who get into, um, I'll just talk about one kind of presentation because there's so many. It's usually like the people pleasers, um, mm-hmm. the nice person. Right. And the nice person is basically the person who doesn't want to ruffle too many feathers, has had the job of making people happy, has probably, you know, been very sensitive or noticed other people's sensitivities. Maybe they themselves didn't get their emotional needs um, met because maybe their their parents were busy taking care of people around or maybe there was something going on in the community or maybe they had a sibling with special needs or something whatever it was and they just got used to holding a lot of emotions mm. and so what you'll see is their presentation will look different I'm just going to answer you for I'm just going to give you an example so I saw a guy who's 37 never married um, very successful at work and you would think oh he's not going to fall into like this nice guy category right. but if you look at his close relationships in his close relationships he's always the nice guy and the good guy and he's never in a relationship where somebody else gives to him but what he started realizing is that unconsciously but he also had moments where he felt angry why because he's nice guy nice guy nice guy feels invisible doesn't feel seen and then he gets angry and then the girls leading him are like, he's such an idiot. Meanwhile, he's nice guy, nice guy, sure, no problem. Right, right. And then explodes. But his presentation looks the same to me as the 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 woman who's always, you know, um, helping out, feeling burdened by her kids, helping everyone in the community, has friends who never ask her how she's feeling, and she's falling apart because she's feeling like a shmata. It's right. people who don't know how to ask for what they need, and they end up in relationships where they're kind of invisible in one way or another. Oh, interesting, interesting. Esther, what type of symptoms does a person exhibit while in the midst of abuse in terms of mental health while they're in the midst of it? I mean, because, again, they're, yeah. we're not talking about physical abuse where you're going to see you know, a black eye, broken bones. They're, they're experiencing uh, emotional abuse. So what would you see? What, would they, what kind of mental health issues would they exhibit? Okay, I'm going to answer, but I also want to give a snippet of hope after because I know I was just talking sure. about like <laughs> the primary people. Because if you are the nice person, which essentially is a form of survival, right? There's there's fight where people are very aggressive. There's flight people who will like shut down and they chronically like numb and disconnect, or it's like are on their phones or they are like shutting you down, giving you the silent treatment. And then there's fawn, which is kind of like the the people pleasing. So people think, oh, like I'm such, it's I'm the nice person, I'm the nice girl, I'm the nice boy, and so the fawn response is actually like a survival strategy to make people around you feel good. So I just want to name it as like a coping mechanism that people have, which is good and helpful in some situations, but is not good and helpful to use as your primary coping if you want to be in a healthy, good relationship where your needs or whatever is coming up for you are important and the other person's. Um, and it doesn't mean that fight or flight responses are any better of like, you know, either stonewalling your partner um, or, you know, kind of running away and numbing out, you could be emotionally and mentally abused or hurt, and then you turn to these other coping mechanisms. So I just want to say, like, a lot of times people, the people who are being hurt then start being hurtful or neglectful to people around them. And that's why seeing somebody who specialized or understands mental health is important. So you don't just plop somewhere and then you say, you know, the 
the the husband could say, oh, well, she's emotionally checked out. And it's like, well, why is she emotionally checked out, right? You might both be in a dance where you both have unhealthy dynamics or maybe you were abusive for so long and now she's checked out. So let's look at the much bigger picture instead of just saying, oh, this person, right? We're not looking at one dimension. Um, the symptoms of when somebody's in an abusive situation or a harmful situation, what a person might often feel is either a pit in their stomach and they don't know why. So it's like something is not feeling right. They have this like gut feeling inside of them, like something's just not feeling right. Um, they might feel this tension in their body, like they just feel very tight around the person. Like when they think about interacting with them, their body gets very tight. They might feel like they have words that are stuck in their throat um, that just can't come out. And even if they do try speaking up, it's like those words are ignored. Um, they might have a feeling of like sadness and depression, like people will sometimes say, like, I've had these symptoms. And it's like, is it depression? Or is it specific to a certain relationship dynamic, or when you're around a certain person, so they might have symptoms of like sadness, feeling helpless, um, maybe a feeling of like nervousness, like their thoughts are looping a lot. Um, but often, it's this feeling, like you said earlier, of like powerlessness, and often shame as well. Because shame is basically an emotion that we feel when our emotional experience is, is invalidated or is ignored or neglected. Yes. And so especially with emotional or mental abuse, the other person is like almost mocking you. So you're like, oh, I am crazy or I am needy or I'm such, or it's like, you know, or if somebody says like, just calm down. And it's like, I know I should just calm down. But back, like we said, there's a dance. So someone could be like having a normative needs and the other person is like shutting them down. What often happens is that instead of just being like, hey, let's go out for dinner. And the husband's like, oh, you're so annoying. You're so needy. I need to be on my phone. I have to work really hard. I'm giving a one specific example. I'm not right. saying this. Right. 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 So she's going to start, let's say, becoming even clingier and needier. And right. then he's like, you're nuts. And then she becomes even clingier and needier. So by the time somebody sees the dynamic, the woman does look nuts. And I'm not saying it's only women who are being abused. Men are also emotionally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Or it could be the same thing. Like I, I recently spoke to a man who was. Um, just talk, if we could talk openly about even like sexual situations, like there are times where there's marital rape with the women, but I met some men who recently confided in me privately who said like, I'm embarrassed to tell my friends yeah. I had marital rape in my marriage because it was the woman on me. And I was like, right. we have to normalize. Right. But anyway, just the piece of like um, looking at dramatic behaviors. So if somebody's in a situation, it could be the man or the woman, what they might notice is that um, one of the symptoms is also they're behaving in ways that are not aligned with who they are. So they might be like much more on edge. They might be very clingy or very shut down. And they're noticing that they're engaging in behaviors that are just not like them, but it's a coping mechanism. So those are some of the signs, like you're confused, you have negative thoughts, you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling ignored, you're feeling a lot of shame. And like I said, that feeling of confusion, I would say is most prevalent because often there's this feeling of, in a lot of these relationships, there might be nice moments, but a lot of not nice or confusing right. moments. The, the, the nice moments are the honeymoon pe uh, period of an abusive relationship. Um, I want to circle back to uh, when you said when pe that people, um, they, they, they disassociate from, from their situation. I, I know a woman who has confided in me um, as a matchmaker. Um, so I, I, she said that she was in this relationship and the man she was dating would call her really ugly names. And she responded to it as though he'd be calling her by her first name. And he would just 
those words. I can't, I can't even say, I can't even repeat those words, uh, you know, to the, to the audience. But he would call her those names on a regular basis as though he could, he would be calling her by her given name. And she responded. And she just, she, and she told me this is after, after the relationship was over, but it's, it's mind boggling that, that she was able to do that. And, my, well, my question goes to was where did she learn that it's okay for someone to disrespect her? So that I don't know. It must have happened to her before. Yes. Right. So I think that just back to the piece, I think, first of all, I think it's beautiful that she confided in you because that means that she trusted you back to the shame. She trusted you enough because it's really embarrassing or she might be totally dissociated, disconnected from herself to be like, like telling you a story and you are having like a, a healthy reaction, which is part of what's healing for when friends or people that we work with confide in us right. when we show them the reaction that is appropriate where it's like, oh, he called you what? I don't care. Like what? Right. So it's almost like that of like, wow, like that, that disturbs me to hear it. How was it for you to hear that? So there has to be a level of disassociation and disconnection to just tolerate it and not be like, <gasps> right. Like jolted. Um, but back to when we're saying about patterns, like somewhere this person learned, like where did she learn that it's okay for someone to disrespect her and for her to tolerate it? And and what I'm not going to say this is not a shaming her or blaming her. It could be that she had a part of her that was neglected or she lost someone that she loved at a young age or maybe she was abused and no one was there. And so unconsciously, a part of her might think it's better to be with someone than to be with no one. And I'll be with someone even if the someone is no good for me because so this is where like I'm actually working on my trauma therapist training where I educate like trauma therapists, educators, or even people who are not trauma informed just to understand trauma a little bit better. And one of the quotes by Judy Herman, she talks about, she's one of the experts in talking about trauma. She says like, when, when children are raised in an environment where let's say their caregivers or people around them are frightening for them. Right. Let's say mommy always yells and says, says, you're so ugly or you're so disgusting. But mommy's also the person who gives you food every night. Right. Or let's say daddy's the one who stumbles in and he drinks a little bit too much alcohol or he's very, very depressed. But he's also the person who pays for rent. So right. you have to live in that home and you have to live with this dialectic. of oh. These are people who are loving on me, but there's also some things that are not so healthy. But the smartest thing is for me to be a nice person, smile, because I can't be homeless on the street. And so, or somebody might be in a teenage relationship or even in an adult relationship where someone is, you know, very giving, very generous financially or emotionally, but in some other way is harmful. So it's the double-sided piece of like, of love and harm. And often you'll then see an adult in dating or in relationships that unconsciously tolerates really unhealthy behavior because there's a part of them that is frightened of being alone or is frightened about something else. So something about that feels comfortable or safer than their alternative for a period of time. How do you help a person like that? So I love that you're asking that question. So, so the first thing, just in terms of the education, like if anyone's in a situation like this or has been like with your girlfriends, or even if you have like a mentor or if you have, or if you're in a, in a relationship or you're dating someone like this, like, you know, just first being compassionate to the fact that like, we engage in behaviors of what we believe we're worthy of or what feels comfortable, or sometimes we don't have any other knowledge, right? And a lot of times with clients, I just want to say, like, we don't say, like, get out of something very quickly. What I often say is, like, like I said earlier, like, slowly raise awareness, 
build resources, find friends, develop strength and validation. For some people, there's a plan of like first figure out how to be financially resourceful. Like you want to be smart. If it's, if it's a marriage. If it's a marriage. And even right. if it's like a relationship where you're part of a big social structure, like I see. you kind of shift. Of course, if it's harmful to you and you have the right support, like if I was in someone's life, I'm like, darling, I'm going to pull you out of this. And you're going to be crying for two weeks, but I'm going to hold your hand and I'm going to hug you because you need support, but you're going to be grateful, you know, like being supported. If it's very harmful, you got to get out of a situation. But yeah, if it's a marriage or if it's a relationship, getting out of it. Um, but I always say, make sure that you have support set up because it's going to be emotionally difficult. But Bila, the, re- the way that we help people is this. Like, yeah, I was going to have what type of treatment a victim of abuse okay. would need in order to heal, you know. So I think, to get, most- I guess to get also to get out of it, and as well as to heal, you know, not just not just crying, because it could be more than two weeks of crying. It, 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 yeah. healing could take a much longer time, you know. It's if it were only two weeks, weeks of crying, crying, everybody would just cry for two weeks and they'd be over everything. Right, you know? Exactly, right. Hello, yeah. when does this grief end? When does my sentence end? Right, so Bela, I love what you're asking, because essentially there might be someone listening to this or people that you work with that are not in a bad relationship now. And maybe they have some boo-boos or some imprints on their heart or their soul that's not necessarily from a relationship, but it's from some other experience. Maybe they were bullied or maybe they felt like a misfit or maybe their parents went through a hard time or maybe they saw a sibling go through a difficult you know, relationship and they have a wound and they're not able to get into a relationship or get into a good one, right? Um, or they're getting into this right, these patterns. So I would just say like, okay, so separate from getting out of a bad relationship, because that's like, you know, they say stormy rather asetov, like we got to get you out of the fire first. Right. And then settle down. And then in terms of the asetov or bring joy or bring good connection, um, really the work is looking at the beliefs that you carry about yourself and really working with any parts of you that maybe have some negative beliefs about yourself, because it's usually some kind of belief that drives um, our choices, right? All relationships come from um, what are my values? What do I believe about myself? And what feels good to me? Right. And how do I, and how do I trust myself and other people? So we really start inside. We start with like getting to know what's going on unconsciously for this person. What do they believe about themselves? And then we start challenging um, the negative beliefs that they picked up along the way that are feeding the behaviors right now, which could be avoidance of never getting into a relationship or being in a relationship and never sure. opening up. So they're lonely or getting attracted to, you know, people who are emotionally abusive or right harmful. And, um, or it might even be working with a dissociation. Like, are you engaging in relationships or dating from a dissociated place? So you're not even processing the information. So then it's kind of like sending your five-year-old or a little kid on a date who can't really assess for safety. Like, no, um, no, I can't stay out after, you know, 10 o'clock at night. I actually need to go home versus like people are sometimes dissociated and they're like, I don't know. And then I landed up on the seventh date and I don't know how I feel. Right. So Bela, it's really a matter of helping the person become a little bit more conscious slowly about their beliefs about themselves, helping them choose aligned actions. Like I just said, procedural learning. So there's behaviors, our beliefs that impact how we feel, how we carry ourselves, the boundaries that we set. I've worked with clients, so we don't even talk about their trauma. Let's say someone was raised with a, a raging father, right? And in good trauma healing, just so people know, because people are like, I don't want to go to the past. I'm like, so we don't have to go to the past. But I noticed that when you talk about, you know, dating or speaking up in your current relationship, right? Because some relationships are on that spectrum where they could work with it. 
You know, your body shuts down. Could we work with a part of you that gets very small? So she would be terrified of ever speaking up because her father would rage more. And her husband's not a rageaholic, but he had a strong personality. So we had to work with her body where it's like, could we check in on what, what's going on in your body? Like somatically we could work with um, right. the beliefs and the emotions in the body. So we work with strengthening the beliefs and letting go of, you know, either trauma memories or negative emotions that are feeding certain behavioral patterns. And the magic that happens is when, and it doesn't happen overnight, but there are sessions that are like aha moments. Um, when somebody comes in and there's like a confidence to them or um, somebody asks them something and they say like, no, that doesn't work for me. And then you see them attracting a healthier partner or right. they're in a relationship and the relationship dance starts shifting. And that's, it's just beautiful to see how they're shifting right. as they heal. Right, right. One last question, because we're out of time. Um, lately, we're hearing a lot about narcissistic abuse. And um, what I want to ask you is, as my last question is that we've been seeing, and this is what we've been seeing in the media, and I'm sure maybe you see it differently in your practice, is that the narcissist ends up um, discarding the victim. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, well, the narcissist, what happens with the narcissism, <laughs> I wrote a few blogs on it, actually, because... We all have narcissistic capacities. Narcissism is on a spectrum. If somebody's a full-blown narcissist, it's incredibly, it's impossible to be in a healthy relationship with someone who has very little capacity to have, um, you know, mentalization, which means to be able to mentalize another person's experience, right? Um, what often happens with the pattern is that, right, they'll kind of like um, look at the person, you basically are my life force energy. If I'm the narcissist, you are my life force energy, and I feel big and powerful because of you. Now, what happens is, is that I'm going to demean you and make you feel very small, but I really need you. As soon as you're not useful to me, I'm going to trash you. And Or as soon as you start calling me out on my behaviors, I'm going to trash you. Right. And so the most painful piece for people in that dynamic. Now, sometimes there's that pattern that goes again and again and again and again. Right, right. Sometimes they're trash quickly. The most painful piece for the person in the dynamic is like going from feeling so valued and so cherished to suddenly being gone. And there's no um, there's no warning to it. It's like, wait, what just happened? Right. So like you, you feel gaslit. You feel like you're going crazy. You start doubting your own reality and who you are. And then suddenly you're trashed or you're demeaned right? Or they use you as like a tissue. And so, yes, what often, I remember once talking to someone who had narcissistic traits and he said to me, I asked him about a conversation, said, you were talking to me about something. And then you stopped, you know, asking me for input. He's like, because he had a level of awareness. He said, but as soon as a narcissist realized that someone picks up on their narcissistic behaviors, you know that they have to run away because it's terrifying for them. So it's terrifying for them to be seen. Um, and so, yeah, they'll usually, they'll devalue you, which means they could either get rid of you or they will have to devalue you to a level of like you have no life force energy inside of you, um, that you you feel like a nothing, um, or they just chuck you and they replace you, and then that in itself is abusive to you because it, yeah. what's the message you get? It's a yuck. But is it message. usually after they're called out on what they do? Um, or if the or if the or if they no longer want you anymore and they're onto right. something else that feeds them. So if you're no so either like you're pulling them out or you're no longer feeding them because you're like exhausted and you're tough, right. And then they're like, okay, well, you're not, you're not serving a purpose anymore. I have to go fill up. That's it. Right. Out. So yeah, dispose. So they dispose of the person. And if somebody has been in that dynamic, like the best thing to do is kind of, um, I think educate yourself about narcissism. Um, and also like getting space from the dynamic helps you refuel your energy. Like you're not, I've seen people who literally said like, I'm deflated. I remember once treating someone, I'm like, you're, you feel like a deflated pancake. Right. Like, and she was like, I'm like, you're going to fluff up over time. 
you probably not gonna, you probably won't believe me right now. And literally watching someone like just removing yourself from the situation, being around just like more normative, healthy dynamics. The, the difficult part with those relationships is that there's this toxic allure that pulls the person in. So when somebody's in that dynamic, um, getting out of it is the hardest part. Sure. But once you get out of it, you actually can like refuel yourself and notice that you can be healthy separate from that. Wow. Esther, you're, you're, in, well, <laughs> I'm speechless. Takes a lot to get me that way. You yeah. are so awesomely incredible. How can our audience reach you? Um, anybody can reach out to us um, by checking out our website. We have a website, integrativepsych.co. Um, I am like energized by this conversation. We also just for anyone and on Instagram, it's Esther Goldstein, LCSW. Um, the thing that we love, we actually have a mailing list. We send out blogs and videos twice a month. And honestly, Bela, what I love about the conversation here is that giving information when we wrote, we wrote a blog on like, what lets you know somatically, how does your body know that maybe you're in a gaslighting situation? And then we talk about like, does it mean you have to get out of the relationship or could you actually pivot and set different kind of boundaries? Cause not everything's black or white. Right. When I get a response from the email or from something that my staff writes that somebody says, you don't understand how much this helped or wow, this normalized my symptom. It warms my heart so much because uh -huh. I I've been that person. Wow. I've been that person who's like, I want to learn about this. So that's how people could get in touch. If there's any way we could be um, of help. And I'm so grateful for raising awareness. Bela, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you to Venus and to our audience for tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Rap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch the definitive rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.